0: Good morning and welcome to Fencing by the Book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Lichtenhauer Longsword Glosses. I'm your host, Mike Smoridge, and joining us today are a panel of Michael Chittister, Kendra Brown, Stephen Cheney, and TQ. We're really messing up the order of things, so we've just recorded episode twenty seven on the old slice and the outer expressions, appearances. And now we're skipping Indes, because we're scared of it, and we're cowards. And we're going on to Überlaufen and Uberwinden, which is lines 80 and 82. Uh, nobody's been up to much since we recorded the last episode, because that was a few minutes ago. I've now got a cup of coffee, and everybody else is hitting the booze. Cheers. <laughs> um, we also, unfortunately, don't have Johanna Hopfgardner this episode. And so, our glamorous assistant reading out the the German version of the Zettel this week is Steve. Steve, could you give us lines 80 to 82?
1: Here goes. Wer unten räumt, Überlauf, denn der wird beschämt. Wenn es klitzt oben, so stärk, dass der ich loben. Deine Arbeit mache oder Herddruck zweifache.
0: Thank you very much. That's an awful lot better than I would have done. And T, can you please be our tall American,
2: reading out Harry's translation? I'm not sure I can manage tall, but uh, whoever aims to take it below, by the flowing over, their follies show. When it clashes up high, remain strong and be praised by I. See your work be done, or press doubly hard upon.
0: Thank you very much. All right, now my understanding is that this is one of these sections where the gloss is about as long as the zettel. Um, anybody want to pick this up to start with? All right, Steve. So there's Steve. an
3: interesting thing about, about this, which is that there's two very different plays, and one of them is only in Ringeck, and one of them is only in Lev, and Dante sort of summarizes both of them. But we have another place where Ringgak is sort of going his own way here. And the Ringgak version is the one that is, has most often been discussed in HEMA, which is odd because it's less interesting.
2: Ringgak does kind of have both. He also has a setting on above, but he just doesn't describe the same setup. All you do is slip the leg,
1: right? That's super And awesome. Slip the leg and hit the head. Yeah. Like that Fiore
0: yeah. play, lightsaber. Yeah, um, that's yeah, what I learned. GG. Right? Just the the leg. and uberlaufen works because you, when somebody attacks your head because of the geometry, they've got further to go because it's like the, whatever it is the, hypotenuse. Thank you very much, the hippopotamus, and you've got the acute, so you outreach them.
2: Yes. Um. So ringers play for this. Yeah. Um. Is basically that they attack a low opening with a hue or a thrust, and you don't parry, and instead you hit them in the head or stab them uh, to an upper opening um, so that they can't reach you. It doesn't actually say to slip the leg. That is a very common hemism, which everybody teaches. But it you just says it. that. I've it. Oh, yeah, I've totally taught it. I probably had the written classes from when I taught this uh, with slipping the leg, but it doesn't actually tell you to do it. Uh, it just tells you to hit them in the head. Uh, or stab them in the upper opening for having the impunity to try. Which is an interesting little variation. The only place I've seen people really do that was turnow where they had the rule for a while that you didn't get priority for attacks to low openings. And so if somebody tried to swing at your leg, you just hit them in the face. And then they better hope they could manage to abort their swing and parry. All
3: right, I think we call that Nordic rules, too.
2: So in Nordic rule, it's a little bit different, but yes. Sure.
3: Sacrifice the leg is a winning strategy.
2: I mean, in turn, how you wouldn't necessarily try to let them at you in the leg, but you would definitely have priority if it was a double. Whereas,
0: you know, it was a win with a re- revenge strike.
3: I've run this test a few times with people when I had the opportunity to quiz people. And if you ask them to show you and this is what they show you. The fact that there's a much more complex in play that has an entirely different application, is not really in mind of many Hina people. And it should be, so maybe we can change that. And we're talking about the Lev play. Um, Mike, you want to read that one, or
1: should we you just talk about it? asked me to show you Uberlaufen, I don't know if I'd be able to do it.
2: Well, you're really tall, so you just like reach your sword out and poke someone when they can't reach you, and that's Uberlaufen, right?
1: Yeah, you just, he's bad for me, is just Uberlaufen. <laughs>
0: Is it like born where you know it when you see it?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, it's the same with Not Grison. Like, it's an idea, I feel, more than like a uh, specific thing. And I, yeah. So
3: what Love says is, he says, uh, when you come in with the pre-fencing, if he then hues to you below, do not parry that. But Mark, when his under hue goes against you, then hew from your right shoulder long above and shoot in the point long to his face or breast and set upon him so that he cannot reach you below. And then it goes on, if he drives up from below and parries that remain with the long guy strongly on his sword and work to the nearest opening, et and this, but And this, to this point, Danzig is more or less doing the same thing, although I think he abbreviates it a bit. And then Lev has an extra play at the end. Uh, Mark when you have bound him strongly on his sword, if he then strikes from the parrying round you to the other side, then bind him at you with the long edge strongly on his sword, above to the head, and work to the openings as before. Grab that to both sides, etc. This was Corey Winslow's translation, which is the one I have in front of me. Um, so essentially, if he's going to strike from below against you, then you're doing something very similar to the strategy of the Zornhau. You're gonna fall on his sword with long point and then set upon him. And if he and then if he actually parries that, so this is maybe a little bit of that or mine mojo here. Um if he's coming up and sees what you're doing and manages to parry you, then you're supposed to stay on the sword and work with the to the nearest opening. So this is pretty basic long point type stuff. And then alternatively, if he strikes around from the sword, then just bind him on the other side with your still with your long point and keep doing your opening hunting. So it's very much a teaching about how to use long point against someone who's attacking from below, and possibly even how to use the Zornhow against someone who's attacking from below. Oh, well, that's interpretation.
2: The one thing I would say is that it says don't parry, but I guess you're gonna say that's basically the same phrasing as when it says that on the Zornhau.
3: It is. The Zornhau phrasing is very similar to
2: this play. But in this case, I don't think there's any like Intrinsic need. I feel this is very much a matter of you're not going to really worry about getting a blade engagement. You're going to stick the upper opening um, and use like physical pressure against their shoulder or whatever to hold them from coming close enough to reach to actually reach you.
1: Yeah, there's no there's no language here that indicates uh, blade contact like there is in the Zornhow. Uh, sure, you don't need blade contact. And but the action, in addition. I, I think
2: it's very- the action is very similar, to be fair, yeah. But in addition, it says that, like, if when you do this, they drive up and parry, which implies that most of the time, if they just go for the attack, there won't be a parry. It's just going to be you hitting and then missing.
1: I, uh, I, I want to make one the interesting part. first. Um, so, one thing that kind of is indicated to me about the lev by the text is it could be. Well, what it seems like to me is it might be um, a case of the scribe skipping a bunch of text because if you look at the Donsig, you have like, uh, when he hews to you below to the lower opening, do not parry him, but rather hew him above strong. But Lev says, um, if he hews to you below, do not parry him, but rather note when his under hue goes against you. And in the Donsig la- later, it says, he comes up with under, or... Uh, note sooner than he comes up with the under hue, shoot the point above long. So it could be a case of the scribe missing some lines and jumping to the next part that uh, made sense to follow on. Um, hey, but I choose... It, or Lev? Sorry?
3: Are you talking about Danzig or
1: Lev?
2: Lev. He's saying that Lev missed the bit where they attack to your low opening.
1: But I, I kind of choose to take this as is, take the Lev as is, um, and not assume that it is a mistake, even though to me it seems kind of like it could be.
0: Well, there's definitely bits where the the Lev author missed out stuff, like with the, the going half to Zufest and in the failure.
1: Yeah, he skips, you know, which uh, Nikolaus... Uh, sorry, Rascal, correct. Sorry to no one except for myself who is trying to say Rascal more. Um, rascal. Yeah, by including the half to comment. But anyway, back to Uberloffen. I don't know that I,
3: I see a place where he could have skipped it in Lev versus Danzig. Danzig, if he hews at you below, if he hews at you with under hewing, um, Lev, if he hews below to you, Mark, when he comes up with the underhue, Danzig. Mark goes underhue, goes against you, Lev. Shoot the long point above it to his face or breast in Danzig. Lev says, You attack, you you cut to him from your right shoulder, and then shoot the long point to his face or breast. Like the text, it lo- if anything, Danzig skips stuff that's in Lev.
2: So I don't see anything be, in Danzig. You would skip it's, from Hughes below to roughly um, uh, when his underhue.
1: No, from do except not maybe
3: the specifying underhewing versus hues below, but I have to look at the German.
1: Yeah, so the the skip would be from uh, do not parry him to uh, note when his underhew goes against you, which in Dantzig says note sooner than he comes up with the underhew.
3: What would be what would appear there? Oh, so you're saying that Love meant to include the first play and then skipped it?
1: Yeah, skipped the last half of, or the last part of the first play and went straight into the second play.
3: Uh, I don't know. I th- I feel like the first play is kind of dumb and pointless, so I'm fine with it not existing to Lev. Well, I don't think he needed it, so I don't know why he would have skipped it. Well, the
1: only weird thing about it to me is that Lev says, you know, if he hews to you below, so now first he starts talking about hewing to you below, and then he, start, he starts talking about an under So... Maybe it's an under Right, so are those two different or the same? Exactly. That's one point.
0: Well, I, th- I think...
1: Um, I don't know. Th-
3: those seem like they could be two different ways of saying the same thing. Right. But maybe not.
0: I, I, I sort of feel that if the setup is somebody doing a rising cut at your body, then all of these plays work an awful lot better than if you assume that they're doing a, a downwards cut at your leg.
2: I find these actually work pretty well if they're doing a downwards cut at your leg. When you like shoot in at their face um, or at the upper chest kind of thing, a lot of people will flinch back a little bit, and you can often get a little bit of extra reach out of that, plus a little bit of extra reach off the pressure of your fetter uh, when it sits on them. And that combination can give you a fair bit of like cover even against um, uh, attempted uh, geislands. I have a picture somewhere of me nailing a guy with a geisland, nailing a guy who's trying to geisland me who's six inches taller than me, with this action, just by hitting him in the face. So.
3: Should we talk about how the upper settings upon counter and defeat the lower? What does that even mean? What is, how how is setting upon him? How does it prevent him from reaching you below?
1: Because Anzetson clearly is placing your point on them and holding, and physically holding them back. So if you have your arms at full extension and you're holding the person back so they can't move forward, then they can't hit you below, right?
2: And especially if you're doing that at shoulder level? Okay, so if we assume that we're
3: using sharp swords...
2: <laughs> did sharp swords even exist? I think all the swords were sharpened by Victorian Curators. No, Museum that was curators.
3: the I'm done. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh,
2: tea with
3: the spiciest take. <laughs>
1: It won't, work
0: out with
1: sharp it won't
0: work with sharp swords because you say, Steve? Yeah, well So to me It won't work with sharp swords because you're going to extend Your sword pointing at them and they're going to be So afraid of it that they won't dare Commit to attacking you
2: Yeah um, but, but Your but sword honestly, will you... just
3: go right through them and they'll still be able to hit you in the leg
2: Well you'll trigger Their withdrawal reflex and they'll jump backwards Like autonomically without brain input So that'll mean they can't reach you that's I read a paper I... by Massachiko Talaga, so it yeah. must be true.
3: No, but gravity and momentum.
0: Well, it isn't this just like uh, Destreza and Ataho, where having where <laughs> cutting from above is a natural movement, which overpowers their unnatural rising movement.
2: So I wouldn't really say this is Ataho. Ataho is basically like Mutieren, but this is definitely Destreza. This is basically the most Destrezza play. They try to do something which isn't in the right angle, you stick them in the right angle and stop them reaching you. Job done. Have a nice day.
0: I, I read a lot, I've read a lot lately on Discord about people talking about overbinding and how overbinding is better than underbinding. And I know that I'm a very simple man, but I don't think I quite understand this concept.
1: I, I wasn't done talking about the upper plantings breaking and freeing you from the lower. Let's go back. Okay,
0: that, sorry, Steve. Was that going somewhere?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I wanted to say some. I wanted to say some like non-troll stuff about
0: it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry, Steve. Deconstruct oh.
1: it. So, like in reality, can we do that here? <laughs> barely. In reality, the way I feel about that phrase, and it's only in Danzig, by the way. I don't think it's in Ringik, but it's definitely not in Liv.
2: Uh, it is in Rengek. Um, All overhews and all settings upon have reached lower.
1: Okay, so this this exact phrase is used again in the harness section, and I guess again it would be this would be a great time to have uh, Jess Finley on. But um, I can definitely see this making a lot more sense in armor. Basically, like the first plays with the sword and armor are like if he you know, stabs anywhere other than your face, just stab him in the face, and don't worry about, like, what he's doing. And that makes a lot more sense in armor than without armor, I feel, because, like, tanking a low hit without armor, I guess, I mean, I guess you can do it. If, I mean, with a sharp sword, I guess you can do it, but, like, would you really want to? I don't know. But, uh... If so you're
3: wearing big enough hose, and then the turtles get tangled up, and it'll be fine.
1: Sure, yeah. But in armor, it definitely, like, you know, if someone's stabbing you below and then you just stab them through the visor, like, you know, that's it, GG, go home. You've you've freed yourself from the... (laughs) But even if you don't, even if you're going for, like, a different target, if you are going for, like, the armpit, or even if you amzits him on, like, the breastplate, you can use that to push them away and free you from their lower attack. So. That's my thought on that, and I've never done any of this. I've never done armor, but I watched the the armor at Long Point, so pretty much an expert.
2: Yeah, so, so from a real sharps in the street perspective. There is something called the withdrawal reflex, which uh, there's I don't know that much about. I'm not an expert on it, but there is an article on Spreckfester blog by uh, Arthur. Jurkic, whose name I have completely mangled, and I apologize to him. But it basically boils down to when you stab somebody, stab somebody, or press somebody with something um, in a way that is painful or like difficult. You push the per- a person will reflexively pull backwards almost always. And so, if you're planting a point onto a, an area like maybe the breastbone or onto the the point of the shoulder or something, you can that can trigger somebody to tense up and pull away and potentially abort the action they were already trying to make, which makes what they're doing a lot more difficult uh, to to finish. So that's also possibly a feature of this action. You're not coming through, Mike.
0: If I unmute myself, that helps. Wouldn't that only really come into play if they were not using sharps? Because... I've read a lot of people saying that getting stabbed is something that you don't really notice.
2: I think it might depend where you hit. Like if you hit on bone, it's probably going to stick and shove more, and maybe get felt more. If you, yeah. I don't know. It depends where you hit.
0: Us playing hypothetical injury time. Yeah, which pretty is much any game.
2: I have to wonder. If that um, but we should link to the, the to article in the short in the show notes. Um, it's an interesting article for sure.
3: I'm curious. in general in this in this I doesn't have an answer today, but. When someone gets stabbed with a knife, they often don't know. If they get stabbed with a four-foot sword, is that the same or different? Like, just the amount of physical trauma that a sword can do on a stab is probably greater. Well, I, I remember... Rapier hits are not always acknowledged. Well, but a rapier is basically a really long knife. You just more. Well, yeah, so I don't well,
0: know. Well, a rapier is just a long sword with a complex hilt, isn't it?
3: A larger medieval sword might be more noticeable when you get stabbed.
0: I remember
2: a couple of things. One is a story of a friend. A friend told me about a, a reenactment group who do, like, interpretation demonstr- technique demonstrations with sharp swords. And a guy, like, a couple of incidents they had where guys got accidentally stabbed. Um, and one time a guy got stabbed in the leg and just, like, fell over on the spot. His leg stopped working. Um, and then another time a guy got stabbed in the arm and didn't even notice until, like, 15 minutes later. So he pays your money and he takes your chances. But also I'm reminded of pete Smallridge telling me about dog brothers which isn't swords it sticks but they're pretty their game is very much the stuff which people do to you is the stuff which people do to you there's no symbolic extra damage or anything if you're trying to swing at somebody's face and they hit you first and you can still get them in the face go for it and he said that a lot of the time people who are trying to like sort of tank the first hit to land their good hit will like the the act of being hit will break their structure and like they'll tense up and their their action won't work so yeah after blow this yeah um, even even with just a stick it can be more difficult yeah
0: especially if you if you're getting the face it's quite funny when when I had a little dog brothers play the the one thing bit of advice that i was given was a little Light prod to the mask won't do anything. Oh, I managed to land one because I was just playing saber like a like a very special person, and it worked for that moment and it disrupted the attack, and it made them angry. And that's not really <laughs> what you want <laughs> when that light tap doesn't win the match and then they come swinging. <laughs> yeah. Play stupid games, win stupid prizes.
1: So should we talk about the uh, the binding aspect of this uh, Uber Latham, Which yeah, is so the most important part. Yeah, sure. What does
3: that say about it? You have a long point, you stab them. Sure. Oh, I guess you can also say that Hunt made to use at this time in this play to introduce the term strengthening, which I'm not sure appears before that but he says remaining strong on this sword with your long edge is called strengthening.
1: Yeah, the it's early... It
3: appears a lot in online sports.
1: Yeah, the, um, the early... Well, well Dante and Lev both say um, if he rises from below, parries, remain strong with the long edge on the sword. And remaining strong with the long edge is something that we do a few times, which, I mean... I don't know what strengthening means, but it seems like remaining strong with the long edge is a situation where you're supposed to be strong. You're supposed to be you're supposed to make your opponent feel strong pressure. I feel, or you know, um, if you do it, you expect your opponent to feel strong pressure. And I think that that all comes to kind of a peak. Um, in the Schreckfenster section, which we'll get to in several weeks, I guess. But here is a good example of it. And Lev, I think, treats this one the best, because Lev adds that other technique, which is uh, the obname counter, even though he doesn't use the word Obnaiman. And this is a much better place for it than right after the Obnaiman, because this is a, like. You know this is when you're going to be using it, okay so when you're you, when you're strong at the sword or hard at the sword, then your opponent is going to f- like feel that and they're going to react to it and they're going to rea- react to it either by strengthening themselves, trying to become even more strong um, or by leaving the bind and cutting around or doing something like that. And this is a counter against somebody who's leaving the bind and cutting to the other side, so much better. What do you better. think it
3: means to bind him with the long edge on his sword to the head?
1: I think it's just a, I think it's the same action as the slice against the um, Sverhau. So, you know, they can't see what I'm doing, but uh, if you do the Sverhau, your hands are up high. So um, you slice against the hands... But if you do a regular cut, your hands are lower, so you slice against the uh, blade and then into the head, and that's what I think is going on here. So I think you do the same motion. You just step in with the with the uh, strong of your blade, and then whether they're doing a spare how or a cut around, you'll get either the bind and, and cut to the head or the slice to the hands.
2: That makes sense. Yeah, it'll so probably. Sorry, go on. No, that's it. I'm done.
1: Go
2: on. It'll probably be useful to mention LeCuchner here, uh, at least in passing, although I'm not super familiar with all of the details because he has 1,500 plays. And they're all the same thing. And they are all the same thing. Um, But he makes a lot of use of two... One, an action which he uses a lot, which is relevant to some of this discussion, is basically a stop thrust in long point against nearly any sort of shortened action. So a thrust from above or a thrust from below or a cut with a shortened arm or something... Pretty much anything like that, Lukutner will just stop thrusting in at one point, so they can't reach you. Which is interesting.
3: And that ties back to the shieldhouse section on Prince against short opponents.
2: It goes back to the shieldhouse section, but it also goes to something we were talking about here about like using a uh, using the upper extended action to outreach the lower action. Uh, but also with Uberlaufen, he starts with the same sort of if they go low or attack below. Uh, let me just track down the exact play. If he strikes you from below, don't displace it, but strike to him for your shoulder, shoot the point to his face, set on him so he can't reach you. If he displaces, remain with the edge on his messer, blah, 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 all the same stuff. Um, but then he has about a million wrestling plays. Um, and one of his major kind of explanations of Uberlaufen is that it's sort of flowing over or overrunning in the sense that you might be like overrunning somebody you're chasing or something when you catch them and bring them to ground. And then... So there's a lot of wrestling actions and kind of close distance plays off this section for uh for Le Kuchner, which is an interesting variation.
3: Doesn't Le Kuchner introduce the binding with the long edge as a direct follow-up to the the sort of first Uberlaufen? So he attacks low, you attack high, and then if he if he tries to come up and parry that from his low attack, then you follow on with long point and so on. It's my recollection. I don't have it in front of me. But he, he—I think—he interprets both of these that we were describing as two different plays as one sequence, which is interesting and strange. Maybe harkens back to the us or Mina.
1: Does Lakushner also have the uh, pommel wrenching around as Überlaufen? Because that's what Jürg uh, Wilhelm's
2: Überlaufen is. I believe so, and a bunch of unarmed versus messer plays and a whole bunch of other stuff, but I'm not 100% sure on exactly where he draws the distinctions between sections because I'm not super familiar with it. Sure. And there are too many plays to get the grasp of it instantly.
3: That's, that's a good point, Steve. Uh, Peter Faulkner also has Uberloaf and has a pommel wrench.
2: Okay. So th- but this idea of like rolling in, getting closer and hooking and kind of driving in.
1: Right pretty much yeah, exactly right right the- yeah, pretty much exactly the same as the wrenching from uh ringek from what I understand, so it's it's one of the clearer things in um jg I think, and he has it like from both sides, um you can you know wrench over, and then his follow up play is after you've wrenched over, um you let go with your backhand and grab your sword. Um, and, and half sword and I guess finish the wrestling from there with your uh, pommel kind of hooked around both of their hands which is kind of cool and it makes sense as you know if I like overrunning if I hear that word and I see somebody do that I'd be like okay yeah that's that's overrunning and then he also gives a counter to it if someone tries to do that then raise your hands up and they can't do it anymore that you yeah All right yeah if if you catch them in the act of doing it you can do it but you know if they're uh if they're already on top of you it's kind of hard to raise your hands up at that point, which is the point of the of the technique I guess
2: yeah <clears throat> um I guess one final thing to mention uh just while I think of it um is that when I was visiting Jess last year when we could still actually fence and travel, We talked a bit about the before times. Um, We talked a bit about like the stages of a hunt, and um, a hunt sort of has like you have an animal in its lair, you chase it out of its lair, so you versets it out, and then you pursue it, uh, Nakarais. and then at the end of the pursuit you overrun it when you like you bring it to bay. Um, So this all fits into a kind of a flow if you interpret the. If you buy the a hunting metaphor thing, this is the natural place for overrunning a thing is after pursuing it. And then you set off its attacks and blah de blah, blah blah It kind of goes on from there. Um, which is quite interesting. Like, it's a nice sort of... That might be a part of the reason the order of these actions is the way they are, potentially. Okay. So,
0: for me, it would make sense if for this section to then follow on from the, from the old slice, from, from those outer expression sections, outer appearance sections. Which okay, makes sense. Yeah, we, but we just skipped out Indes because it's tough.
2: Yeah, but Indes isn't the play directly before this. The play directly before this is the old slice.
0: Yeah, true. Is Indes, does it not have any plays? Indes is just... all theory. Okay, yeah, it's just some philosophical Waffle. I've got a question, though. Right? If if Uber Laufen is not slip the leg, hit the head, then does Lichtenhauer, does early KDF, have responses for attacks to the leg? Because I spend half my life ragging on I-33 for being an incomplete system because it doesn't have leg hits. And just are
1: you asking why Lichtenauer ignores half of the human body?
0: Yeah, I mean,
2: Lichtenauer does have a few like hits, um, although he doesn't really have many responses to them.
0: I would probably, he's got one thrust stab to like the thigh,
2: there's the Torhau to the hip or the lower, yeah, opening.
0: yeah, um, but I'll, I'll take that as like, yeah, the hip,
1: yeah, there's a picture in the Goliath of the Mutiran attacking the. The uh, thigh, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But there's no actual text saying that. It just says go to the lower opening.
4: Hmm.
3: You can also interpret this as a strike the leg. There's no reason why striking below doesn't mean that. Um, it just doesn't require you to slip the leg.
2: Yeah. I would probably say that there are two things going on. Firstly, the definitely, if you believe Don's sake and Ringek, and you can read Levin the same way. There is there is a solution to people trying to attack on a low line or from below or just generally low, and it's to just attack the high line and make sure they don't reach you. But secondly, when it comes to talking shit about I-33 in particular, with a buckler, direct attacks to the low line are a lot safer because you can do them while simultaneously covering in the high line in a way you can't with a sword. Uh, a sword alone, more accurately. So, if I have just a longsword and I want to go for your like thigh or something, my head has to, my head and upper openings have to be open while I'm doing that, and you can try and stop hit me there and stop me from ever reaching you. Well, if I have a buckler, I can at the very least throw my buckler over my head while I die for your thigh, and I've got kind of pretty okay odds on stopping you hitting me in the head. So it's a much higher frequency action with buckler, unless you do a one-handed version. Uh, Geistlin obviously is a super popular action with a longsword. So. Yeah, that's just
0: pommeling built for the longsword.
2: Yeah. And Lichtenauer doesn't have an answer for that. Or at least not an explicit one. Although this action does work against it uh, if you get your timing just right.
1: Have we talked about the uh, Latin for this yet? I know we talked before we recorded, but... Uh...
4: I'm not sure the Latin has a ton to add. It does have a phrase that's not in the German, but it's not a very exciting one. (laughs) (laughs) It's
0: Latin. It's not going to be exciting.
2: Um, What is it? I'm sure it's exciting.
4: I can just read the Latin, and you can see what's interesting. If anyone approached you using strikes from below, you should conduct yourself in opposition in this way. If you wish to use the action which has been called to mind, when you have come near to the opponent, and he strikes against you from below, you will refuse to take out his forward attack. You will truly observe carefully when his low strike drew near to you. You would strike an extended strike from the right arm, and thence you would drive the adversary forward with the longer point in the face or chest. Indeed, come into contact with him, and if you would contact the sword in the intended place, so it will be done that the enemy is unable to seize you below. If he raised the sword away from below to the stated place and he would take out your forward attack, the long edge of your sword stays connected firmly to the sword of the opponent and thence he will quickly contest against his nearest opening.
1: Okay. They, and the thing that stands out about that to me is it sounds like they're saying that there's sword contact when... You beat them above, or beat the lower opening with your upper opening. Is that wrong?
4: The phrase that I noticed was not in the German. In fact, the part about specifically contacting the sword.
1: Yeah,
4: um, but I think it comes up a few times. Yeah.
3: Well, that's so it inserts in the phrase "set upon him," so he cannot reach you below. It inserts um, "set upon him," and so you would So you would. It can uh, contact his sword, so he cannot reach you below.
1: Well, that's a game
3: changer. Yeah, it that- seems to suggest either a bind or just like a sort of line covering, interposing yeah.
1: your sword into a
3: place where the sword would have to go.
1: That yeah, that really points towards the uh, Uberlaufen being like a uh, you know like an overbinding situation. I feel anyway. I don't know. Yeah. That's cool.
3: My, my only question would be if there's re- if the contact is required or just potential contact, and I, I don't think it's clear.
4: Hmm.
3: Like, are you binding a sword or are you just sort of obstructing it?
4: Right. Well, the mention of intent makes it seem like if you bind but it's not where you want it to bind, you should do something else instead. So sure. sounds pretty intentional. Hmm.
2: Tricky. This is the play I got my—I think possibly my only control point at long point four. Actually, which part of it? You stabbed a guy. Um, like a guy tried to cut up from below, and I just uh, walked the point straight into the kind of lower torso and caught him on my cross guard at the same time as I stabbed him. Keith Carter Riley gave me a control point. I'm pretty sure he hit me in the hands, but whatever.
0: Yeah. I, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the thing that that I'm taking away from the Latin is that they are cutting from below. It's not there; they're doing a descending cut.
1: Yeah, it's it, it, it definitely seems clear that they're doing they're doing an unterhau in in love or in the Latin. There's none of this. If he cuts you below, then search for his unterhau or whatever it's just always striking from below which is good it's better
2: Yep. well this is obviously the solution to the classic uh, when you're trying to walk in in long point and they try and snipe your hands play
3: yeah if you can it's great if you can do it yeah <laughs> like many so, things anybody
2: got
0: <laughs> yeah uh, just uh, uh anybody
3: one got more, anything one else more... to add? yeah uh, as a response to the idea that Lev is skipping text, I, w- I would just point out that Hans Madel, who had access to Ringeck, also just omits the play of slipping the leg and goes straight to the setting upon against someone who cuts from below. So he had he he t- Hans Medel typically quotes Ringkeck, but in this case he skips Ringek and quotes Lev instead. So he clearly liked the play as it was configured here. And didn't think that the play of slipping the leg was worth mentioning.
1: That's fair. Yeah, I mean I don't necessarily think that that like lev was a mistake. It just seems fishy to me.
3: Yeah, I mean the thing is very similar, I agree.
1: Yeah. But still I take it as it is. Yeah, the whole like if he attacks to you below then whatever with his unterhow.
4: Just seems fishy.
0: Cool. We're done. Case closed. Problem solved. Slip the leg. Hit the head.
3: Made a lot. Of sense that if you don't want to do this, you wait upon the after with the war. So that's pretty much advice for everything.
0: Cool. All right. Well, thank you very much for listening. This has been fencing by the book, the podcast where we take an in-depth look at the early Schopenhauer glosses. Our panel today have been. Kendra Brown, Michael Chilister, Stephen Cheney, and TQ, and I've been your host, Mike Smorich. Thank you for listening.